one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah. Hey, it's me again, Virginia Priest from Brooklyn, New York, and you are listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, thank you very much, Virginia, from Brooklyn in New York, for returning as an intro of the Tennis Podcast, Catherine. We like returning everything, don't we? We like returning mascots, we like returning shout-outs, but an intro is is pretty cool to start off this show, isn't it? Yeah, returning dogs is is the best. Returning humans <laughs> is, is a very close second. So. Okay. Thank you, Virginia. Yeah, indeed. Thanks, Virginia. Uh, Matt Roberts it's is here. It's not Virginia well. Wade, is it? It's she not. In, no, it's Vi- Virginia Priest. In, um, oh, well, Virginia Wade lives in New York. That yeah, is why so I ask. You're getting a bit of a shout out comparison name as well for for, mm. for your money there, uh, Virginia. So thanks very much. <laughs> um, uh, Matt Roberts is here. Hello, Matt. Hello. Yes, I I am between trips. I've I've done lots of laundry, and I'm. I'm ready to go again. Sparkling. Pants are clean, guys. <laughs> big, big moment here on the Tennis Podcast. Uh, if you'd like to introduce a show like Virginia, you can do so by becoming a friend of the Tennis Podcast. The link to do so is in your show notes. And you can also get a shout out as well. And then from December the 8th is when we reintroduce pet mascots, guest editors, executive producer slots. You can take us on in predictions. That is all coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks. Right, we've got lots and lots of tennis to catch up on from Turin this week, where Catherine sits in her hotel room after eating another gourmet meal. What implement were you using to eat it with, Catherine? Yeah, same one as before, David. I haven't I've repeated my mistakes of the past. Right. So you But it worked really well the first time. I'm actually surprisingly expert now at eating salads with uh, bottle openers. <laughs> it's like a party trick. Uh, fantastic. So well done for that. Um how has the week been? What is Turin like versus a year ago atmos-wise, staging-wise? What do you th- what have you made of it all? Um, well, it's got Yannick Sinner, which it didn't have a year ago. I do think that is 
that is a different the difference. The the crowds here are fantastic. I I think it's been sold out every session. I mean, there's a dead rubber happening at the moment in the singles, and both players got an uproarious welcome onto court. Which had I been a ticket holder tonight, you know, being the sort of privileged um, privileged tennis goer that I am, I'd be. I'd have been extremely disgruntled and probably not cheering that loudly for the players coming onto court, but they were giving it so much welly. Um, so yeah, the the crowds are special. It's one of those where it's the biggest thing happening in this city at the moment. You know, it's it's very much that vibe and not the big city, all sorts of things happening. This is just one of them, New York type situation. It definitely feels like Everyone in this city knows the the tennis is on. I like that. That's that's really um, pleasing, and it comes through the TV. I have to say, uh, the the atmosphere, the the fervor, really. I mean, it feels like it is a step up from last year. I'm, I'm sure that Sinner is the main reason for that. I, I it was also made the point that the next gen finals isn't taking place this year in Italy, and therefore they've got even more resource to put behind this and they can just focus on this. And, uh, and I mean, it does look incredibly well staged. I mean, it, frankly, it does look as if it's just been picked up from the O2 arena and put in Turin, but I don't know, maybe even better um, to, to some degree. Matt, in terms of lineup for the semifinals, which is where we stand right now as, as we talk to you, yes, there is this match between Zverev and Rublev going on at the moment, but it doesn't matter. Those two are both out. Um, and it leaves tomorrow night, as we speak to you on Friday night, it leaves Novak Djokovic against Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner against Daniel Medvedev. I mean, that is pretty much, if you could have asked for a lineup for a semifinal, would you have gone for that? I did on on WhatsApp earlier today. I said I would like to see that semi-final lineup, please, and and it did happen. And it it feels right. Those have been by far and away, I would say, the four best players this year. I mean, some sort of categories within that as well. Obviously, Djokovic has has won the three slams, and Alcaraz has got a slam. But you know, Sinner and Medvedev have both had really great runs of form during this season as well. Medvedev more at the start of the season and then picked it up again at the US Open and Sinner obviously sort of well actually ever since he was sick on the court against Grigor Dimitrov Yannick Sinner has has turned into this incredible player who seems to have sort of leveled up and and sort of accelerated and yeah he he's been as as Catherine suggested really he's been the sort of star of this tournament so far and I think I think we've got two fantastic semi-finals to look forward to we've got we've got Medvedev trying to overturn now that that sort of head-to-head which is moving in Sinner's direction against him you know Sinner's won the last two and Medvedev taking on that that Turin crowd is something I'm very excited about as well and then Djokovic Alcaraz remains the match in men's tennis because of you know the sort of generational gap between them and just you know how good they both are at their best I think you know we all were really high on that rivalry through the summer but we obviously haven't had it since uh, Cincinnati so I'm very very excited to see that again and and already um, I am 
you know, just aware that I'm going to be up late tomorrow and, and I have a very early alarm on, uh, on Sunday morning. But it's fine because I will be watching Alcaraz Djokovic rather than sleeping. That's a, that's a good uh, thing to sacrifice sleep for. Yeah, that's a decent enough trade-off. Uh, listen, we'll, we'll we'll get to to preview those two matches, uh, of course, and we'll all have our say once again, I'm sure, on the pros and cons of round robin. But actually, what what they have done is produce some interesting storylines. It seems to me within the course of the week, and and actually, I think you know, really Yannick Sinner's route through. I think when we spoke on. Sunday night, Catherine, he just played his first match, hadn't he, against uh, Stefano Tsitsipas. And really, the drama took place after that in the next two matches. He, he's, he, he beat Novak Djokovic for the first time in an absolute cracker of a match. And then he beat Holger Rune in a match he didn't actually need to win last night, which <laughs> ended up keeping Djokovic in the tournament. I mean, it, Sinner has been the story in just about every way. Yeah. And if you think that's the case sort of for neutrals, just, I mean, you can't even imagine how bananas the Italians are going for Yannick Sinner. Um, You know, we're talking, we're talking uh, cartoons in Gazzetta della Sport uh, where Novak Djokovic is, is handing his crown to Yannick Sinner and placing it upon his, upon his head. I mean, talking about sort of just, hours and hours of rolling I don't know whether they've got a dedicated news channel for Yannick Sinner yet but we feel <laughs> it feels like we're nudging slowly in in that direction they they know what they've got in in Sinner for sure and they they definitely feel like this is the moment obviously the fact that it's happening in Italy helps but he is one he is a talented young player who's destined for great things that hasn't had the big moment yet, I don't think. And this, I th- I think, feels like it. And maybe even sort of on a smaller scale, that win over Novak Djokovic was it. He he was unreal. I mean, he beat he beat Novak Djokovic in a deciding set tiebreak. That that pretty much anyone that knows anything about Djokovic in in tiebreaks that tells you what you need to know I think the hitting from the back of the court was sublime the the way he's timing the ball the way the the flight of the ball over the net it just looks so so sweet it is it's beautiful from Yannick Sinner there's also some some definitely encouraging signs in terms of variety in his game it's not there yet but I'm more convinced by it than I've ever been before. Um, I think the court helps with that. The altitude helps with that for sure. But he's showing some some hands and some dexterity that I think is developed from from what we've seen previously. I do just have in the very back of my mind, and we might get a test case for this, it is very possible that Yannick Sinner and Novak Djokovic will meet in Sunday's final, would Djokovic be losing that match if it were a knockout match? I'm not. I, I think Djokovic was giving his all, just as Yannick Sinner was. I just think there is a different gear to Novak Djokovic when it's when it's win or lose, when it's life or death. He has a historically poor record in second round robin matches in the ATP finals, and I don't think that 
can be an accident. So there's a part of me that wants to see that match in Sunday's final to find out the answer. But then there's also other parts of me that want to see every other combination of the various possible matchups we could get in Sunday's final. So I'll I'll kind of be happy with with anything and everything from from this point. But I don't know. I'm interested in your thoughts on on the match uh, on his his third match against Holgaruna that he he absolutely didn't need to win and and some some would argue it might have benefited him for him not to win because he would have sent Novak Djokovic out of the tournament um it didn't surprise me that he put full effort into that match given how big a deal he is here to the fans given the the money available to to an unbeaten champion the the money differential is is massive i know it it's a bit crass to talk about money but the sums are so significant at this event for the men that um, even multi-million, it, it's significant even to multi-millionaire tennis players. Um, so it didn't, it didn't surprise me at the, at the outset. I expected that to be an incredibly competitive match as if it were a knockout. However, when I did, when Yannick Sinner started showing signs of injury, that was when things changed to me. That was, I mean, and, you know, the, we probably need to expose ourselves for our our hot takes in our WhatsApp group, um, which were so completely wrong about that match. But it surprised me, given the evident injury, how much he continued to put himself on the line in that third set. And again, time will tell. We'll be reconvening on Sunday to to see how our takes age. Um, but it could cost him. Definitely could cost him. Yeah, because he was clutching at his lower back um, halfway through or early parts of set number two after he really ran away, rolled over Runa in the first set, 6-2. He was playing beautifully. He was incredibly loose. As I'm not that surprised. He, he he knew he was through. The crowd were loving it. And, and he is... He, you've highlighted before when he played Davis Cup and when he played Turinic two years ago, how good he is in front of one of these crowds. You know, he doesn't shrink. He's up for it. He, he he gets energized and inspired by it all. So I wasn't that surprised that he was loose. I was maybe a little surprised that Runa looked as tight as he did. And he, he really didn't seem to have much conviction and confidence on the ball. And then he turned it around to a degree at the start. And he was aided, of course, by Sinner looking a little impeded for a while. And it would have been very understandable if Sinner had either retired, um, which, I mean, yeah, you're quite right. We said, I said, I was the first one to say it, this will either be Sinner in two or Runa in three because it got close at the end of the second set and I saw no possible way, really, that Sinner could could outlast Runa in a match that he simply didn't need to win and one that if he did win, he would end up keeping Novak Djokovic around. Not that that is going to be in his mind consciously but like there's every reason to not bother really giving a hundred percent maybe saving a little bit or not not running f- for the absolute final point one of a percentage out to your right to get that ball that you're struggling to get to there wasn't a bit of that he was he was so rugged and so up for it and I, I've seen this kind of bravery before from him to some degree when he's cramping he he doesn't give in very easily he tr- he's trying to to win what what impressed me 
is that he managed to win against a guy who also loves a scrap in Runa. And I think he's shown that in back-to-back matches in for different reasons there. He's playing the ultimate match manager in Novak Djokovic, and he's outlasted him in a tie-break. And then he's done it against Runa, who needs to win the match. And I just think it was bloody impressive. I do think... You're right, though, Catherine. I, I, anybody reading reading into that, that that will predict the future when Novak Djokovic is concerned, needs to remember the difference between that guy at Grand Slams in must-win matches and everything else. I'll, I'll let Matt share his views here, but I just wanted to say that it's, it's a blooming good job that Holger Rune loves a scrap because he seems incapable of having a tennis match that's not a scrap. <laughs> well, what, what, are you, what are you most impressed with Sinner about, Matt? Um, I mean, I know generally you've, you've maybe been more up on him than we have over the, over the years, but, I mean, this is a clear step up again, but it feels like on a couple of, or, or more than a couple of different levels. I think the main thing for me is, you know, it wasn't that long ago, it was this season that, Sinner was our new why do I lose all the close matches guy and you know I think particularly at slams you know and I think there is still that I don't don't want to say question mark because I I, I'm not that unsure of it I feel like Sinner will get there at the slams you know he hasn't really hasn't had a chance to play a slam since he's found this this new gear this new form um, but, you know, he was losing a lot of five-set matches. And I think what's impressed me is that he's won these these two in such tight circumstances. And I think, you know, he's got he's got such a big game that, you know, he needs to commit to it. And he's still been committing to it, even in the very tight moments. I mean, that that final set tiebreak he played against Djokovic was unbelievable. He, he, he simply took the racket out of Novak Djokovic's hand. The guy who who goes into a lockdown mode and is used to winning in those moments. Didn't He didn't really have a say. Sinner was just way too good. So so that impressed me massively. And, and honestly, I've really enjoyed seeing him get the crowd's adoration because he's not, he's not necessarily the guy that you would necessarily would think would be traditionally that kind of player. You know, he's, he's quite introverted and, you know, I think it's, I think it's wonderful sort of what happens to him and what happens to the crowd watching him in Italy. It's it, it, it's it's a really it's, it's a special thing. Um and of course not to not to throw it ahead too much but I mean there is also the chance that Sinner and Djokovic could could meet in the in the Davis Cup as well. They are their their potential semi-final opponents Italy and Serbia. So we could get a sort of hat-trick of of Sinner Djokovic matches potentially, and I think each one with this little bit of a more edge that Djokovic will have. You know, he's I think he's spoken so much about how much he wants to win the Davis Cup this year for Serbia. So if they were to meet there as well, I think that would be really interesting. But yeah, it's it's very hard for me to imagine Djokovic losing twice in the same week to the same opponent. Like as good as Yannick Sinner is, the, you know, we just know that Novak Djokovic has got another level and ha- how good he is at, at getting revenge over over players. You know, look how he beat Carlos Alcaraz in the next match after they after they played that Wimbledon final. He, he, he just is so good at not letting players get a hold over him. So if they were to meet again on 
on Sunday. I guess I would still be backing Djokovic, but that isn't that isn't to say that Sinner hasn't impressed me absolutely massively because he has, and that was a match that Novak Djokovic, you know, absolutely did want to win, and and Sinner was right there with him and and sort of took it from him. It was it was incredible. Mm. Uh, I my feeling was I, quite early on. I felt. Sinner would win because of it being a group match Mm. and because Djokovic came out toe-to-toe with him and he absolutely hitting the ball as clean as a whistle it was it's actually a beautiful sight to watch him redirect the ball the way he was in that first set and not just dig in and play kind of see if he can get it past me tennis not that, not that he does that all the time, but you know what I mean. There was a de- he was coming out to seek and destroy in the mat in the match and take Sinner on and knock him off the court. It felt to me, but there's a little bit of impatience about him when he's playing like that, as though he just I just can't be bothered to do what I always do. I just want to knock you off the court and get out of here. There was a bit of that about him, and and that's what made me think he was he was vulnerable to to, to losing the match. And and also, I think that that plays into Sinner's hands because Sinner loves to stand up and just take people on toe to toe. What about this this semi final he's got? He's playing Daniel Medvedev, and Medvedev won his first two matches pretty comfortably both straight sets over Zverev and Rublev and then today he had that slightly awkward situation of knowing he's already through and he's playing Carlos Alcaraz um we'll put we'll we'll save Alcaraz as a, as a talking point I just want to want your thoughts Catherine on Medvedev generally do you feel like he is playing as well as you've seen him play at this event i mean he won it of course a, a couple of years ago didn't he or three years ago can't remember did he win it mm. he's won this before yeah yeah 21 um, 20 right? 20 the, the, the oh yeah the that was it oh the, yeah. the dark one <laughs> yes um and the one and, where i lived at the o2 a post-apocalyptic o2 <laughs> arena for the week that's right it's no you wonder you've tried it. to erase it from your memory <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, after two matches, I think he was the player that almost looked in, in the best form. Maybe him and Sinner equally. Um, now he's lost one. What do you think for this match, Catherine? The form you've seen Medvedev in, the record he has, which is very positive overall against Sinner. But as Matt said, Sinner's started to make inroads. I think Medvedev across the first two matches against Rublev uh, and against Zverev was playing as well as anybody. Honestly, it was it was going less a lot less noticed than than Yannick Sinner. Kind of the story of Medvedev's year, playing really well but being somewhat in the shadow of either the famous Carlos Alcaraz or Novak Djokovic or just not ever quite being the man. Um I suppose there was a period at the start of the year where he was winning all those titles, but even then it didn't lead to a grand slam did it so you could still make the argument that there was there was somewhat of a a shadow he was he was in somewhat of a shadow so yeah this tournament has been kind of the same he was stunning I thought for those first two matches just you know all the precision that you expect from peak Daniel Medvedev moving brilliantly he's so comfortable on this court one of those matches where you're watching and going bloody hell, how does he move that way for a guy of his shape 
and size one of those matches where you're struck by how Daniel Medvedev doesn't make sense you're looking at him going right okay <laughs> that's what he's doing is it um yeah such precision such cleanliness from the back of the court always seeming a step ahead of his opponent that's how it felt against Alexander Zverev as soon as their rallies went over four shots you're like okay Medvedev's probably got this he's he's playing a game of chess now and it's unless you're going to pull off something spectacular it, it's over for you and that was kind of how the match played out but that wasn't the case today against Carlos Alcaraz and I there are so many different factors potentially at play in today's match I don't know how much weight to give one versus the other I think Medvedev was dulled by the fact that he had already qualified and the fact that losing took out his uh, his foe Alexander Zverev and potentially set up a more favourable semi-final matchup for him now you could argue that either way Sinner has been getting the better of their their recent matchups, but it certainly I don't think gave him a less favourable matchup in the semi-final. Medvedev, yeah, points and prize money, all of that, but I think there was there was an edge taken off Daniel Medvedev today for sure, um, and I also think that things changed for him after losing the first set. If the edge wasn't taken off in the opening set, it certainly was in the second set. I definitely don't think he was in a place where he wanted to get dragged into a, a marathon, especially being on the side of the draw that gets 24 hours less rest ahead of the semifinals than um, than the others. Having said that, Carlos Alcaraz was a completely different animal today to what he was in his opening couple of matches, and he was fantastic. It's the first time, it might be the first time that I can remember indoors, at any tournament indoors, and there's, that's not that big a sample size, that I've seen Alcaraz with the proper Alcaraz sparkle. The first time he's properly looked like Carlos Alcaraz indoors. I think, I think maybe we've been kidding ourselves a little bit or less so you David I think you've actually been pretty realistic about um how dulled Alcaraz has looked as a as a force on uh on indoor hard courts versus other surfaces but don't want to get ahead of myself because it's it feels like one step along a a learning journey but there are echoes of Queen's you know, here for Carlos Alcaraz. Remember how shaky he looked in his opening match at Queen's against Arta Rindikanesh. He very nearly lost that match. And then, as I recall, quite re- can't quite remember who it was against, but it, I think it was his third match at Queen's where it suddenly looked like, okay, he's he's grasping this now. He's got it. He looks comfortable. He's doing his thing. He looks like himself. Um, and I had a similar feeling about him today. So... Whether it's enough against a six-time former champion tomorrow, I don't know. Um, but I'm damn glad that Carlos Alcaraz is in the final four. Mm. Still trying to get my head around me being the most realistic of us when it's talking about Carlos Alcaraz. Um, but yeah, I, I I did say at the outset that 
he looked all at sea. And and I agree with you. I think this is the first time we've seen the real deal. The first real sight of Carlos Alcaraz in an, on an indoor court. I can't remember seeing it before. And it was a it was a timely re- reminder because I, I needed it. I wanted to see the pizzazz, you know, <laughs> the, the one who just makes you go, oh, my word, <laughs> what's he doing? Um, because nobody else can do that. Nobody else can do it quite like him. They've all got their own thing. I think Sinner has been providing breathtaking power and, and really making people stand up and take notice of what he does from a baseline. Djokovic, well, he needs no introduction, but Alcraz does have something that none of them have uh, in in as much as he almost has what they've all got at, uh, when he's absolutely at the very top of his game. Um, and yeah, we saw we it wasn't all the way through in this match. There were some still still the odd patchy bits I felt, but generally speaking, the 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 clarity of thought of of how to use his creativity, how to use his options was there today with the foot speed, with the reliability from the baseline, and he was he reminded you why he'd got that record against Medvedev in, in that match today. And when he's serving or volleying or hitting off sort of off-pace shots behind Medvedev that are making him turn and suddenly having to realise he's been wrong-footed and, and then having an answer for the pass or the lob or the dink cross-cut, whatever it was. It it was all there today. And he he looked like he was having the time of his life. That's the other trademark feature of Carlos Alcaraz, isn't it? Isn't this great? Uh, and the crowd were all were responding in the same way. Um, so that that's him but I, but I felt like this was only a one off like he hasn't he's worked towards that like he did at queens i'm not saying it's a one off and it won't happen in the next round but it's the, it's the only time we've really seen it um and now he has to play djokovic which uh, i mean I, I i find his form a little bit difficult to assess and i don't i don't know about you matt i don't really see that djokovic's form his 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 other wins, I just none of it seems relevant to me. It's tomorrow's a completely new new day. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. He's played a lot of three set matches, hasn't he? I mean, all of them this week. He played a lot in Paris as well, which you know is is perhaps an indication that he's not quite at his at his peak level. I think I think Pete Djokovic would have been winning some of these matches a bit more efficiently than he is. Uh, so you know, if I'm Alcaraz, I'm maybe I'm maybe clutching at that straw. Um, but you're right; it's it's a different ball game when it's when it's knockout and it's you know right at the peak end of of the tournament. I'm expecting peak Novak Djokovic. Um, just just quickly on Medvedev, I think this is quite a big weekend for him. I think. When you look at his recent record against the other three in this semi-final lineup, he's lost five of his last six against Djokovic. He's lost three of his four against Alcaraz this year, and he's lost his last two against Sinner. Like it took probably the, one of the best performances he's ever had to beat Carlos Alcaraz at the U.S. Open, and you know I, I just don't think you can expect to play like that all the time. Sort of feels like. He is there with them, Medvedev, absolutely. But recently, these these players have been getting the better of of him. So, I think you know if he can win the semi final and get to the final, I think that would be a, like a like a big step, like a big moment for him. I just have this slight sense that the others are just 
I don't know, just slightly better than him at the moment. And I think he's sort of out to out to prove that wrong. Uh, I hope so, because that's that's very much my favourite Medvedev. Um, but yeah, that's that's just the slight sense that I have comparing him to the other semi-finalists. I, f- I feel like he needs a big win over over one of those, which maybe sounds silly because he did win that US Open against Alcaraz, but sort of big picture, he's been losing to those three quite a lot. We might get to meet a new favourite Medvedev tomorrow, Matt. <laughs> we might get get to meet Medvedev versus 13,000 Italians. <laughs> oh, come on, let that happen. I mean, Djokovic versus 13,000 Italians was pretty fun. His um, his conductor move was one of my moments of the week. But, yeah, same. I, I enjoyed it, but again, just maybe going back to what David was saying earlier, This from that I got a slight sense that it wasn't Pete Djokovic in that match because it was mm. it was quite playful with the crowd and when he's when he's really on it he's not playful he's not taking any shit from them whatsoever he's he's using them and and turning it into sort of motivation he's he's cold with the crowd when he's sort of using the crowd to enhance his performance which we've seen him do for years this was a bit yeah as i said playful is the word that comes to mind it was a bit more it was a bit Medvedev like. It was a bit, yeah. There was a there was a slight twinkle in his eye while he was doing it. It it didn't feel kind of, yeah, cold. Cold is exactly the word. But he doesn't um, do that I, as well as Medvedev. Like Medvedev no. does it playfully, but he's also oh. an absolute killer in the moment. <laughs> Djokovic mm. ends up looking a little bit distracted and not not really himself. Um, so yeah, I I agree. I think that, that he was loose. He was loose mm. in, in that match, and he won't be loose tomorrow. He'll be just bang on it. Mm. I do think I do think it could get fun with Aggy Medvedev against Dinner so. tomorrow. Yeah, hell yes, that would, that would be splendid. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Okay then, uh, listen. The, the the truth is, you know, we, here we sit on Friday night. We've got these two semi-finals coming up. It's uh, Sinem Medvedev at two thirty local time in the afternoon. It's Alcaraz Djokovic nine p.m. local time, so it's eight p.m. for us in the UK uh, tomorrow night. What do you think? Who's winning them? Why, Catherine? Oh, David! You can't avoid this. Um, You've been asking everybody there for their predictions, and you're on the I spot. I think it's going to be a Djokovic Sinner rematch. Me too. But I could I can see any scenario. I wouldn't be I think they're all in the mix. I wouldn't be surprised by any scenario, but colours to the mast, Djokovic Sinner, with Djokovic winning. The court really suits Medvedev, doesn't it? Like it's fast, it shoots yeah. through. It help if he's served. It's a proper hard court, well. and he is a specialist, so <laughs> yeah, he would know. It probably least suits Alcaraz. Would you say? Well, that is what he said after his first match, isn't it? He lost his Zverev, and um, I've only seen the quotes written down. Uh, so you know, take them as you will. They could have been delivered you know, with a with a wry smile, but he was pretty chippy about the the speed of the court. Um he said it's the fastest 
fastest hard court I've ever played on, fastest um, fastest court I've played on all year. Um, of course, al- uh, the altitude is a is a contributing factor to that. Three hundred meters doesn't sound like much, but it's certainly enough to make a difference. Um, personally, I think it's a pretty much perfect speed of indoor hard court. I think the the court is conducive to very watchable tennis. I'm I'm a fan. Um, I can understand Alcaraz being a bit shocked by it. If it, you know he was making his debut, wasn't he? He hadn't played on that court before, but um, he's he's grown so much in comfort. I I doubted he'd say that now. I think it's another link to the grass. Like I think at the start of the grass court season, we might have said, "Oh, grass doesn't doesn't suit Alcaraz." But then when you see him playing well on it you're like, oh, well, actually, he's got a really nice slice backhand and he likes coming to the net and he's got good touch and suddenly his game sort of makes sense on that court. And I think that's the same with a fast hard court. He's got really good hands, he's got variety, and that's that's all things that are helpful on on a fast hard court. But I I do think that Djokovic and Sinner, you know, if he, if he beats Djokovic and then were to play Sinner, I do think both of those will be able to rush him a bit more than than Medvedev was able to today with, you know, just given their court positions, you know, they're, they're much happier taking the ball earlier and, and just sort of rushing Alcaraz in a way that, you know, as you said, it looked like the previous Alcaraz-Medvedev matches today, you know, Alcaraz sort of exploiting the space that Medvedev left, um, but he won't, he won't be able to do that against Djokovic and, and Sinner. And I think that element might, might still take a little bit of time for it to come. So that's, that's probably why I would I would back Djokovic and, and Sinner to meet again in in Sunday's final. I don't feel like Alcaraz has had enough wins to be ready for this. This is a different level. So he's beaten Rublev, who really isn't comfortable on that on that court at all, and didn't play well this week. And he's kind of it's the first time they'd played each other, and it really suited. Alcaraz, I felt the the Rublev game, and he's beaten Medvedev, who he's got a winning record against, and who didn't have to win, and maybe that took a little bit off him. I I I know that might be being a little unfair to Alcaraz, but but that's kind of that is that is something that was at play, and w- whether it was a factor or not, it's impossible to know for sure. But that's that I would guess it did take a little bit off him, um, and. That's only two wins coming off a really not very good run um, for a while. I think if you were in a Grand Slam and they were meeting each other and he'd had five wins, I'd feel differently about it, especially if it was... Uh, I think he's better outdoors. I do think he's better with elements and, and all those sort of things. So I'd go for Djokovic as well, but I'll I'll put him up against Medvedev in the final. I think... Um, yeah, there's a reason that Medvedev beat Sinner, what, six times? Um, it's a lot. It's a lot of wins, and I do think the 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 conditions suit him perfectly. And yeah, I, I think. And I, there's got to be a there is a question mark over the fitness of Sinner. Okay, he, d- he did well to fight through that third set. Mm. He said it, he said it was nothing, but he would say that. And um, it's impossible to know whether he's fully fit or not. But it's definitely at least a little factor that makes me think I would probably therefore go for Medvedev because I'm pretty sure he's fully fit um so yeah Medvedev Djokovic final is the one I'm expecting but you're right any one of them would be would be fantastic and uh and I think we can 
kind of sells feeling pretty pretty smug and lucky that we've we've got this particular lineup in the semi-finals to look forward to. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello tennis podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So, um, earlier on in the tournament, just a couple of other points to, to cover off here. Um, Stefanos Tsitsipas, we mentioned, lost his first round-robin match that he played. We covered that against Yannick Sinner. And I remember he came into the tournament, there was there was a doubt over whether he was really fit, wasn't there? Remember he pulled up in practice um, just on the eve of the tournament. And then he played three games against Holger Runa and then withdrew. Now, this wasn't the elbow injury he's had problems with in the past. It was a, it was a, it was a back injury, I think, Catherine, wasn't it? And... Uh, yeah, he got he got some pretty uh, pretty hostile treatment from the crowd. I'm and I'm I'm not that surprised really after three games. I, I mean, I feel sorry for him if he's injured, you know, obviously. But um, but three games that ain't a lot of tennis. Yeah, I I I sympathise with both parties here. If I was in that crowd, I'd, I'd like to think I wouldn't be booing, but I'd I'd probably feel the same as the people that were booing. Um, because it it's a tough ticket. You're dependent on on one match. That is the situation. Yes, you get the doubles, but let's face it, that's 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 a starter, isn't it? You're you're buying the ticket for the singles. Um, and okay, they served up a an exhibition match, well, an exhibition set between two alternates, one of whom was very clearly injured and not fit to play. Um, and I think that's pretty questionable from from Taylor Fritz to sign himself up as an alternate for which you get a pretty hefty check um, knowing you're not not fit. And I assume he he knew he wasn't fully fit because it's the same abdominal injury which 
caused him to pull out of Paris. Now, maybe it turned out to be more of an issue than than he realised. I don't I don't know, but that was certainly very a very unedifying spectacle. The the Hercatch Fritz exhibition set. I found it tough watching Sitsipas end his season injured and booed off court. Um, that's, you know, I, I feel for him. That's really tough. But equally, I mean, tennis players are selfish, aren't they? I don't I don't think he intended to um, make anybody in that crowd feel the way they ended up feeling. I'm sure that wasn't what he wanted from the day. But equally, I don't think, they were a factor in his decision making about whether to give it a go that day. You know, t- Tim Hemman and and others on our coverage on Prime were p- pretty clear that when you hit prior to a match, you need to go full pelt, um, essentially recreating match conditions to establish whether you are fit enough to play. Um, and in the comments he gave, he said he he was he felt it in war- in the warm up. Um, but he thought he would give it a go anyway. Now that is absolutely his prerogative. He's earned his place at that at that tournament. That is within the rules. But equally, he, equally, he received a heftier check for taking to the court than he would have done had he not taken to the court. And I understand why the crowd were incredibly disgruntled. Now you could ultimately argue this is a a glitch with the system that allows for, if not kind of encourages um, this sort of situation to arise. But I do, I feel for everybody involved. It was a really, it was a really flat afternoon. It was, it was, it was really tough to be somebody um, uh, leading a broadcast on that session of tennis. Mm. Yeah. Um, We also had the sight of Andrei Rublev once again smashing his knee with the racket frame six times, one after another, drawing blood. I mean, looking as though he'd really swollen his knee. And I mean, he he was hitting himself as hard as he possibly could uh, in his second group match. And I don't know, I've, I've, spoken a lot over the last year or so about how much it bothers me and how much I I feel terribly sorry for him that it, that the moment is doing that to him and and he is unable to handle it um but I can't watch it and I turn it off when he starts doing that or I certainly don't want my kids seeing that um and he he's somebody who's made real strides in the last few months in terms of his results and his performances and also his his mental health during those sort of moments. I, I understand he had a, a bad cold this week and he really was feeling under the weather. He certainly wasn't playing well. But this was a massive regression. It may be temporary, but, you know, he, he, he was... He was hurting himself, like physically harming himself during a match. And... <sighs> It's just upsetting to see it and distressing. And I, I don't know whether anybody can do anything about it. I don't know whether the, whether it's... I mean, I, a bit of me started to think, you know, is that like unsportsmanlike conduct or bringing the, the, the sport into, you know, uh, 
disrepute in some way but then it's he's doing it to himself it's not like it's not a racket smash and and which there are penalties for you don't seem to get penalized for for doing that to yourself and it i don't know whether that would be a good idea is that is is that helping him because that that's kind of what i want i want him to be helped but i also don't want people i don't want my kids to see that and think oh that's how you behave on tennis andre rublev's doing it why shouldn't i do it Really, really bothers me. Yeah, it's nothing to do with tennis. I mean, whatever is is coming out in those um, behaviours when he reaches boiling point on on court, um, that's pretty profound stuff. I've absolutely no idea what what the root cause is, but it he, he's clearly such a good egg, Andre Rublev. But there's also clearly demons there that he needs help identifying and and dealing with and i i really hope you know people in the sporting world aren't always the most emotionally in touch and emotionally intelligent or emotionally enlightened um i've no doubt he's surrounded by people that absolutely want the best for him but i've no idea whether he's surrounded by people that are the best judges of what is best i and i just I just hope he, I really hope he gets what he needs. Yeah, me too. Um, the doubles semi-final lineup tomorrow. Things start before those single semis with two doubles matches. The first semi-final is going to be Marcel Granoyas and Horacio Zabayas against Rohan Bapana and Matthew Ebden. That's at 12 o'clock local time, so 11 o'clock for us here in the UK. And then the evening match is Santiago Gonzalez and Eduard Roger Vassalan against Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury, who, it reminds me, Catherine, you know, before the US Open, they they, they were having a terrible time, weren't they? And, and, and they are a seriously long-running partnership now. If you consider... We've now got Neil Skupski and Wesley Kulhoff splitting. They won Wimbledon together. I, I got the feeling from Ram and Salisbury that, you know, they were starting to question things a little bit earlier in the year, but they wanted to stick together. And then they got the the benefits. The dividends finally came in and they won that US Open. But um, they keep on plodding along, don't they? Yeah, like backing a football manager through a through a rough mm. patch. Um, it seems all too rare in doubles and, and indeed in football these days. Um, so I'm really pleased for them that, that that faith is, has come good. Um, and they're now on an eight-match winning streak at this tournament because they went unbeaten to the title last year and they're unbeaten. Uh, they've come through the group stages unbeaten this year and I I would have them as favourites to go on and, and win the title again. They've looked very convincing to me. Um, yeah, the, the Kulhoff-Skubski one is interesting and controversial, I think. By all accounts, Wesley Kulhoff delivered the news to Neil Skubski, um, his partner with whom he's had a great deal of success, um, in Paris this year. Not Roland Garros Paris, indoors Paris, that he wanted to end the partnership and he'd be partnering with Nikola Mektic next year. Um, and it, I mean, it surprised me full stop that they were splitting because of how much success they've had. They finally won that long awaited slam this year. Um, it surprised me even more to hear that 
it, it wasn't for a same nation partnership, I would expect some surprise splits uh, in the season, at the end of the season before an Olympic year. I remember Wesley Kulhoff played with, hang on, was it Mektic then? Mektic and Pavic joined up, didn't they? Because, yes, because and Mektic left. Mektic left. Mektic and Kulhoff split after winning the tour finals, I think, in order for Mektic and Pavic to get together for the Olympic year. That made total sense to me. This one sounds pretty brutal. Um, and yeah, Neil Skubsky was left floundering around trying to find a partner. Now, I understand from some investigations that Laura Robson has done, actually, that Neil Skubsky is going to be teaming up with Santiago Gonzalez next year. And that is because Edouard Roger Vasselin, Santiago, Santiago Gonzalez's current partner, is going to be teaming up with Nicolas Maou for the Olympic year, an all-French partnership. So uh, the the carousel keeps on a-turning. It's all very guys. dramatic. And meanwhile, uh, yeah. Bapana and Ebden uh, still got a chance to finish the year as the world number one pair, which is, mm. I, I always get pumped when uh, Rahan Bapana has a chance to do something <laughs> because how, how is he doing it? I mean, he's 43. It's he's unreal. He's a grey beard. Oh, what a player he is. I mean, that that is a seriously dynamic pair, you know, when you watch them on the court. To the, uh, the, the, the interception, the volleying skills of those two, they are serious talents. Anyway, anyway, they they need to reach the final in Turin to pass the already eliminated Ivan Dodig and Austin Krychek. They're in the top spot at the moment. Kulhoff and Skupski can no longer finish the season at number one. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll find out. Um, and uh, Santiago Gonzalez and Roger Vasselin and Granoyes and Zabias, well, they must lift the trophy to move to number one. So it's all in play, Matt. Who is going to do it? I'm going to put you on the spot to tell us which doubles pair is going to finish number one. God, what a what a horrible question! Yeah, uh, let's have it. Let's go with let's go with Bapano and Ebden. That'll be fun. Agreed. That's who I'm going with as well. <laughs> And they only so need to reach the final. So they only need to yeah. win one more match, right? It's going to happen. I want to see those scenes. That'll be fun. I think they will reach the final and clinch number one and Raman Salisbury will beat them in the final. There you go. Unsolicited, detailed prediction. <laughs> Good work, Catherine. That's what we like. Okay, well, we've got it all to look forward to. Tomorrow, Catherine will be presenting the live coverage on Prime Video in the UK, and we'll be watching. And then we'll be coming back on Sunday evening, won't we, with a a new tennis podcast to review the semifinals and the final. And then Matt is off to Malaga uh, for Davis Cup finals. I will be in Malaga for that Sunday pod. Oh, will you be joining us from Malaga? That's very exciting. Well, I hope so, if I'm invited on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're in trouble if you don't. Uh, Anyway, let's hope you are. Um, Anyway, we've got a fantastic mascot um, for this edition of the Tennis Podcast. It is Ted. Ted is a Pomeranian terrier, seven years of age, owned by the very lovely Mark 
Forbes. Mark is the kit man for Southampton Football Club. Um, and uh, Mark's been a long-time supporter of ours, as has Ted. And Ted loves chasing tennis balls, listening to the tennis podcast, and getting up to mischief with granddaughter Aria Violet, aged two. Catherine. Oh, How lovely. Yeah, we know and love Ted and Mark. Yeah. You've met um, Mark, haven't you, Matt? I have, yes. I I met him last year. He, he was very kind to to source some some tickets to Southampton Fulham for me and my dad. Unfortunately, it was the day that Southampton got relegated. <laughs> <laughs> awkward. It was a slightly awkward vibe. Mm. But <laughs> okay. we had a lovely day and Mark is a delight and he is, as you said, officially the kit man. That does that title does not do justice to what Mark Forbes does at Southampton. I I'm convinced that that the football club would fall apart without him. He was he was telling us what he does, and it seems to be sort of everything. He 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 is great. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Mark and Ted, for being the mascot for this edition of the Tennis Podcast. And uh, as I mentioned at the start of the show, uh, if you have a pet that would like to be a mascot of the Tennis Podcast, from December the 8th, we're taking submissions for the year of 2024. And we'll be having weekly mascots throughout the year, and your pet could be one of them. Uh, So, yeah, keep across our social media and our newsletter, of course, uh, for news of when those opportunities go live on December the 8th. Uh, We have our own mascots, and they will also be available for 2024 as well. We've got Maisie for me, we've got Xenia for Catherine, we've got Darwin for Matt. Uh, My Andre Rublev prediction didn't do too well, did it? Um, But uh, have you two still got any stakes in in the draw? Yes, well, I went for Medvedev. Okay. Mm. Who you've now decided isn't going to win. Uh, Matt? And I went for Sinner. So we are, we are facing off in the, in the semifinals. Oh, well, that's all very dramatic and exciting. Uh, we have Billie Jean the Dog, sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. And... Now, at this point of the show, I would be uh, asking Matt for shout-outs because we do have them. However, Catherine's Zoom has frozen. <laughs> so at the moment, we can't hear her at all. Uh, so we're going to say goodbye uh, for this edition of the show on Catherine's behalf and save shout-outs for Sunday night's show, Matt. How does that sound for an idea? Sounds like a great plan. And they're, and they're good shout-outs. So we've got something oh. to look forward to on, on Sunday. I'm pumped already. I'm pumped for the semi-finals as well. They're coming your way tomorrow and for the final on Sunday. We'll be back on Sunday night. And then we've got a week of daily podcasts from the Davis Cup finals. Matt will be in Malaga. Can't wait for all of it. Uh, We'll speak to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 